Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Mark, how are you, my friend? I am awesome because I'm here right now. (laughs) You are so awesome. Now, today, I have the pleasure of hearing your story in detail. So what's more awesome than that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have to say for all of your listeners, they may be used to hearing your voice, but back in March in Tampa, the first time I get a chance to hear you and meet you is on stage amongst, I had to say, a lot of men. And my goodness, did you break through? I was like, I, I reached out to you afterwards. I was like, yeah. I love your vibe. <laughs> the energy you put out is amazing. So thank you so much for having me here today. Oh my God, you're fabulous. I love your vibe too. And that's why we're here today, my friend. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to start you off with my favorite question, which is one of my favorites. I have quite a few favorites, but What inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? That's a huge question. What inspired me? So a lot of it's fear of failure. A lot of it is that on one side, I know, I know that I'm built for greatness. I know that I'm super ambitious. I know just deep within me that I will live an extraordinary life. And so that kind of pulls me. And the thing that pushes me, though, is this like fear of failure, this this fear of not living up to my hopes and dreams. And what if things are never as big as what they are in my imagination? And so I don't know if that inspires me the way that maybe you're looking for the like, well, you know, this happened and I wanted to. No, it's just deep down within me. And, and, and I think many of us entrepreneurs, many of us leaders have this feeling, this pull, this calling of like, I just want more. But then the thing that really drives me, they're like, what if it doesn't happen? I need to go make it happen. So so that's my inspiration. That's your type A personality starting to come out like, okay, I'm ahead of it. I need to make sure it's there, (laughs) which I love, which I love. I'm the same way. I'm always about like, all right, how do we go out there and go get it? I want more. And I want to make sure that this life manifests. So let's go out there and get it for sure. I'm like hundred percent that mindset of like, you want things. Boom, yeah. Boom. But I spent, um, I, I probably spent a good 10 years, maybe even longer wanting things, but feeling guilty for wanting the things I wanted, knowing that I liked nice things or money or material things, and then judging myself for wanting those things, because shouldn't I, you know, focus on the things that matter most. And, and a lot of these things I realized, especially over the last year are all stories that, you know, other people's stories in my life that they've kind of imprinted on me over this time. And right before we met back in Tampa in March, I was out for a run the morning before we met, actually. And it hit me that I'm a super ambitious person. And my ambition is what most people admire and like about me. And yet somewhere along the way, I was taught or told that ambition is wrong. Like it leads to greed. It leads to ego. It leads to narcissism or being self-centered or all those things. I had to unpack that. And I mean, I don't know how you feel about your ambition, but I've always struggled with it. And now it's like, no, I want to own it. I am an ambitious dude who wants to do big things. So how do we make them happen? Amen. You're speaking my language big time because it was four words that changed my life in college. I did this internship 
that I literally, so like throughout college, I didn't think, I thought I was going to be an entrepreneur when I was like 40 or something. Like that's like, what was, that was my game plan. And I was in college and I was doing this internship and I was still like focused on wanting to do like big events at like sports arenas or like hotels or do like these massive things. And then eventually down the line, do my thing. Well, it just so happens that I had this internship at this place that I thought I was going to work at when I graduated college. So I basically positioned it that I did this internship. It was my spring semester of junior year. So right before senior year. And I had this internship. I crushed it. I was there every day. I thought, you know, I was networking with everybody because I, you know, I was like, this is where I want to be when I graduate. And this is where I want to start and blah, blah, blah. And I walked into like my semester end review with my supervisor where they give you the grade, which I was expecting an A because I worked my tail off and I was there all the time. Like you don't expect anything less as a college kid, like doing these internships when you're doing the right thing. Right. And she gave me a B minus and she literally said to me, you were just too ambitious. Oh, wow. (laughs) So when you said that, that replayed in my head again, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, people imprint you and will tell you that it's just, it's too much. Are you sure you want all of that? Or really, uh, that that sounds like a lot, you know? But like, you were just too ambitious. I remember that I had this like rage in the beginning, right? Since I'm a Scorpio, I overreact to everything. And then after that, like, I remember leaving the room, I passed the threshold when I left the office and I felt this sense of calm. And like, I heard in like a voice in my head being like, Pam, you're meant to do greater. Like you're just meant to do greater. And so I remember walking out of the office and then I was totally calm and called my parents and I was like, mom, dad, like, I hope that you understand this, but I'm not working for anybody when I graduate. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a business, have no clue what it's going to be. I'm just letting you know right now. And of course they had a meltdown, but like you were just too ambitious, like ambition in this society is viewed so negatively. And I don't understand it. Like, why, why can't we be more? Why can't we do more? I think that a lot of times. <laughs> the advice that we're listening to comes from people who can't pull it off themselves. Mm. So for example, if I, you know, I went through a health transformation over the last number of years, I've lost a lot of weight. I got super healthy. I lost 70 pounds. I never used to do strength training. I never used to work out. I never dieted. And I would constantly hear from people in my life, Mark, you're like, you're too black and white. You're too all in on this. It's about moderation. You have to live a little. And I was like, do I? I guess I do. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not. And I was like, and I'm like rolling around all these things in my head. And then it took me six months, nine months, a year to realize like, I'm hearing this from people that I'm not modeling. It's not like if I was modeling an athlete, which is what I wanted to be, if I was modeling someone who has done it before, I should be listening to that advice, not the advice of the people who are not in peak physical health who are not dieting the way that I want to, right? Like they're the ones telling me to moderate because they're doing that and not getting the results I want. If I'm in business and I'm listening to an entrepreneur who says, you know, in startup, and I've told people this advice, like in startup, you got to make huge sacrifices, like prepare for 60, 70, 80 hours per week, prepare not to make a lot of money, maybe for the first year or two, as you continually reinvest that dollars, prepare to work harder, prepare to make less. So that way, one day you can be free and make more. And then people say, well, how is that a work-life balance? 
I'm hearing that from people who are not trying to build a business, who are not setting themselves up to make millions of dollars of passive income down the line, who are who will look at you like you're crazy if you say, hey, I want to be able to take nine months off and travel the world or do whatever, right? Like we're living bigger dreams and have higher hopes than most people have. Right. And so listening to their advice, I realize, is a stupid thing to do. <laughs> and I've been doing that for, for years now. So that's one of my latest unlocks. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. But that's the God honest truth. Like if you want to be where others are not, you have to follow those who've done it or have done something similar because sometimes there's paths that just haven't been taken yet. Right. But somebody who's done something similar could walk you through all of that. So that's who you need to be searching for surrounding yourself with those types of people to be able to get those types of results. Right. Like you can't ask an accountant legal questions. They're going to be like, talk to an attorney, right? Like yeah, yeah. You, you can try. Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, you can try. <laughs> Don't advise it. <laughs> this is not financial advice disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the old, the old saying, right? You, you don't listen to your Uber driver for stock tips and, and all of that kind of stuff. And yet when it comes to these softer things in our life, you know, the family we grew up in, the friends that we used to have, because we used to be in that place, but we're no longer in that place, the way we used to think. We outgrow all of that stuff, and yet, and yet we hold on to these things of the past. So that's the challenge that we all face, and we all just have to recognize. And then once you do, what do you do with that information, right? Like you right. have to start reprogramming yourself, and it's uncomfortable, but that's what we're all about, right? Yeah, I was literally just about to ask that question because I know that there's a lot of people listening right now that may not feel like their current environment or group of friends, people, all of that aligns with who they want to be necessarily or what they want to do with their lives. So how do you go about doing it in a way that doesn't burn bridges? Let me start by asking what's wrong with burning bridges. That's true too. No, I'm saying like, if you love and respect certain people so much, right. But like, you still want to maintain like a relationship with them, but when it comes to like advice and that kind of thing, you kind of just want to keep them that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I, I hear what you're saying. And the reason why I asked that question though, is because we do not do the things we need to do. So mm -hmm. we won't put ourselves first. We'll quiet our ambitions or we won't take bold actions. Or we won't do the things we know we need to do because we're, yeah, we're worried about people's judgment or making a mistake and looking foolish in front of them or maybe setting them back. Maybe it's more honorable than that. You know, like my wife and my kids count on me to be smart and to be able to, like I'm a steward of their future almost, right? So like I, I have to do the right things for them. But getting back to it, it's like you don't want to burn bridges so you don't ever force the issue. Mm -hmm. So you just live with them being them and you not growing the way you want to. Maybe you need to be willing to burn a bridge. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you need to force the issue. Maybe you need to actually speak up for yourself. Maybe you need to say that you're no longer going to take it. And maybe they'll come with you on the journey. Maybe they'll see a little spark of what you're doing and you'll inspire them and they will step up. Maybe they will come with you or maybe they won't. And maybe you'll lose them. You'll lose that relationship. You'll lose that time. You'll lose that place and you'll never be able to recapture it. But the reason I frame it this way is, is like, would you rather live your days, your life, have your relationships, have your business, have your income, have your health, whatever it is that's important to you, would you rather live in this kind of artificial fake bubble for fear of facing the truth because it may cost you something, but you may get an amazing reward? Mm -hmm. Would you rather just live that, that fake thing or would you rather face it? address it, 
be honest, be truthful, give them the opportunity to come with you. And if they don't, you say, well, I am more important than holding on to this fake thing. And every entrepreneur does this with their staff. You don't fire the people you know that you need to fire. You don't hire the people that you know you need to hire because you're just, you're fine with status quo or you don't want to rock the boat or you're afraid, well, what if I lose this person? So you, you just settle for okay. We do this with our health, with our relationships, with our finances. We do this in all areas. And and what I've come to realize after mistake, after mistake, after mistake, and hoping that things would work out, and then a year later realizing they didn't, and I had to, I hope I don't have to fire this person. A year later, I have to fire them. I hope I don't have to make this massive investment that's going to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. I want to avoid it. Then I have to make that massive investment eventually. I hope that I don't have to have this hard conversation with my wife because what if then eventually I have to have that hard conversation? Like I've learned it's just so much better just to jump on these things and do these things right away than put them off hoping that they somehow work out because they never do. Right. Your intuition will never lie when it comes to those things. I love that. I love that. Stop procrastinating the truth, if you will. Wow. I love that. That was profound, Mark. Thank you so much for that. No, seriously. I'm like... These are lessons that, you know, we're constantly learning. We're constantly learning. And it's one of the most important as we learn and grow and we shift, especially for entrepreneurs, right? Especially that thing you mentioned about employees. We hold on like for what you know, this person's not meant to be here. Do what you need to do immediately. Stop waiting for it because then it just gets worse. (laughs) The situations usually tend to get worse. They don't get better, right? Oh man. Thank you so much for that. Now, I want to reel it back a little bit in your world because I want to learn all about you today, Mark. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what was your dream? Ooh, I wanted to be a race car driver, but maybe every little boy does. And then when I got a little bit older, I wanted to be an architect and an engineer. So I grew up in a construction family, developers, and I just loved, you know, when I was a kid, I used to create um, like floor plans. I used to take chart paper and I can remember just creating like residential floor plan after floor plan. And then I would build with Lego and try and build like these multi-story things with stairs and everything to scale. And so I wanted to be an architect. Uh, I wanted to be a civil engineer. And then in high school, I did very well in high school. I did not. When I was a kid, I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to write until maybe grade five. I really, really struggled in school. And then suddenly something happened, like grade seven, grade eight. I don't know if I my memory kicked in, if I started testing better. I don't know what happened, but suddenly it's like straight A's. I became a straight A student. My final year of high school, I hit chemistry and I could not wrap my mind around it. And I started thinking, if I can't do chemistry, can I do algebra geometry? If I can't do that, will I get into the, you know, the university I want or the program I want? And will I get my architectural stamp? And suddenly fear kicked in and I went to film school instead. That's amazing. Big, big change. (laughs) Film school. That's so cool. Yeah. So I I went to film school and uh, I graduated high school. I went to film school to become a documentary filmmaker or an editor, I thought. But mostly it was just, hey, this seems like more fun. Let's go do that. And then I worked in television for about a year. And then uh, I found myself at an internet marketing franchise in 2005, 2006, back when, uh, at the time, it seemed like the internet was around for a long time. But I don't know if you remember 2005, the internet. <laughs> those, those were the early days now, actually. Oh, yeah. I think that's when I graduated eighth grade. Yeah, I was in middle school when <laughs> 2005. <laughs> eighth grade was the first time I ever went on the internet. And I think that was in like 97. I'm quite a bit older than you. I think it was like 97, 98. And I'm sitting in my uh, library at school and my friend says, do you want to go on the internet? I said, sure. 
what does that mean? Like, what do we do? And he's like, you just go somewhere, like, give me something. And I only know two websites because back then everyone would advertise your AOL keyword. All of the commercials would always be like, you know, use America online keyword. I knew Oprah and I knew NASCAR. Those were the only two things I knew. I'm like, so the first site I ever went to was I think NASCAR.com, like 97 and 98. And I turned to my friend, I was like, are we on the internet? He's like, yeah. I said, what do we do? He's like, you're doing it. This is it. <laughs> what? That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Anyway, that was the extent of the internet at that point in time was literally AOL, Oprah, and NASCAR. That's all I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. It's so weird to think like we haven't had internet our like all of existence. Like it's only been around since early 2000s. So it's a little over... I mean, almost two decades, I guess, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think it started to become public in 94, 95 and things like that. But yeah, so I ended up working at this internet marketing franchise, 2005. I worked at the head office. We had 1,500 offices in 90 countries uh, and territories. And I was responsible for producing all of the video content for training and for marketing and for advertising and all that stuff. And Even back then, I mean, YouTube hadn't been purchased by Google yet. Facebook was not a thing. We used to have to take these videos that we would shoot on tape. We'd shoot on tape, actually, and digitize it, and we'd edit everything, and then we'd have to compress them into these tiny little files for dial-up. And there was no way to just drop it, you know, in an embed or take the link. And We had streaming servers, and we used to have to hard code all this stuff, and we'd have to send out all these ASX files or something. I don't even remember the names. It was a mess back then. (laughs) The world is so much better now. Gosh, it sounds like a total mess. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You had to code all that. I forgot about dial-up. You just reminded me about dial-up. I used to fight all the time. Get off the phone. I'm trying to surf the internet. (laughs) And now we have Wi-Fi and life is beautiful. But wow, my God, we're going back. You had to do these packages for internet servers and do these dial-up things. Like, I can't even imagine what that was like at that point in time. Yeah, so like we would produce like, let's say a communication. So the CEO of our company would want to release a communication to the 1500 franchisees. Yeah. And if you're in New York or you know, Atlanta or something, then it's cool. You're on broadband. So you can watch the talking head video that was 320 pixels. So like, I know today, like we don't need to get too technical, but 4K is like thousands of pixels and HD is uh, 1920 pixels wide. Standard definition is 720 pixels wide. We're talking about 300 pixels. (laughs) So think of like a postage stamp on your big screen television. That's what we had to get the video down to so we could release it for people on broadband. Now, if you're on dial-up, we could barely get you audio. <laughs> like, like <laughs> this was basically like, think of like the glitchiest thing in the world, the, the most compressed, the most glitchiest, the most terrible thing. That's the best we could do because you might be in like New Zealand or something running one of our franchises and we'd have to be able to send you a 22-minute video. And it was just, wow wasn't very good. That's so funny. Okay, cool. So after this firm, what was your trajectory like sort of after that? Because you went from television and then you shifted into this world, which is super interesting though too, because I feel like it's like completely different world. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that the path is never straight. So I ended up working uh, there for close to two years. Yeah. And all along when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I was working at this company, I always just imagined me starting my own company. I don't know why. 
you know, I don't know what it was, but I just thought if I could do this full time for this one company and make $45,000 a year, which is what it's making at the time, why can't I do this for a whole bunch of different companies and make more money, have more clients, do different type of work, make more money. So I actually approached the CEO of that company and I said, you know, it does not make sense for me to be on your staff. So I'm on payroll. I have an assistant. You have all of this equipment. You have all these carrying costs. You have no structure. Why don't I leave? Why don't you outsource all the work to me? And then I'll, I'll get off your books. You won't have any of these commitments and it'll bring more structure to the type of work we're doing. And he's like, that's a great idea. So they let me leave. They let me take all of the equipment and I was going to like work in trade to kind of pay it all off. And so I had like a $20,000 line of credit from my mom. I had this $7,000 of equipment that they were going to let me go with. And then they were going to outsource all the work to me. And that's how I started my agency, Phantom Media, in 2006, the end of 2006. Six months later, it turns out they weren't that interested in outsourcing work to me. <laughs> like, as soon as there was a dollar figure for all of the work they had in the pipeline, they're like, oh, we don't want to you don't want to pay for that. And so like six months later, it was not going well. It was like, they weren't giving me any projects. I didn't know anything about sales at the time. I had zero marketing. I did not have a big network. And so that first year, <laughs> I learned a lot of hard lessons, but my wife and I living in the city, my wife's not working. My daughter's three months old. I quit my $45,000 a year job. And that first year, my take home was like 18 grand. It was... <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough year. Wow. Oh my goodness. What I do love is that you approached the CEO. That's something that a lot of people would never do. Like, Hey, this would make sense for your business. Like let's try it this way. And I think it's brilliant that you did that. Like if that takes a lot, <laughs> that takes a lot. I was super fortunate. So, you know, if you're young and you know, you're an entrepreneur or you want to become an entrepreneur or a hustler or what have you, you know, you talked about your internship, putting yourself in another company or another environment for six months, a year, and then kind of bouncing around is a really good thing. Because the thing I learned many years later is I started this agency, this video production agency that became a creative agency and an advertising agency that I still have. I still run 15 years later, and we've pivoted four or five times throughout. But a big thing that really hurt us about seven, eight years in, I'm running this multi-million dollar agency. I'm hiring all this staff. We're selling all of this stuff. I never worked for another agency before. So that was a good thing. I didn't have any of the structure or framework to worry about. I invented a brand new business model. We were totally different than everyone else. And that's awesome. But, you know, I would hire these really smart people and they'd come in and go, why don't you have project numbers? I don't know. I never thought of that. Or why don't you have this system or that system? Like, like why are you reinventing everything from scratch all the time? And it's just because I started my creative agency at 23. I had only worked in corporate for you know, and, and in television for two or three years post-college. I just, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to make it up as I go. So that time that I spent at that company, at that internet marketing franchise was an amazing experience because I worked, my internal clients were the CEO, the founders, and the C-suite. So I didn't sit, even though I was like technically three or four levels below in the kind of hierarchy, I didn't sit with my team I didn't sit with my direct report. You know, I like I didn't sit with my boss. I didn't sit with anyone. I sat outside of the CEO's office and all day, every day, I only worked with the founders, the CEO, and the executives. And that meant 
that I was pervy to all kinds of ridiculously high-level conversations. I had an open-door policy with all of them because they were my clients. My job was to help them look good or sound good or say the right things or make sure we're communicating properly or what have you. And then the other benefit that I didn't even realize, which was awesome, is if we had to produce sales training, I would work with a sales trainer that they would hire to figure out what they wanted to say. I would help them put the course together. I would shoot the course. I would edit the course. We would release the course. Like by the time it was done, I had just spent 90 hours or 100 hours or 300 hours on sales training. That is so much better than just showing up at a sales training thing. And so over the course of the two years I was there, executive experience, found, you know, working with founders, producing all of this different content, it was like the greatest schooling ever. And so if you're young and you're like, you want to be a hustler, you want to make money, that's very, very cool. But spend a year or two years or however long it takes trying a bunch of different things because the stuff that you learn and the mistakes that you make kind of under the safety of someone else's company yeah, <laughs> will take you far. Like how much did you learn running restaurants, right? Like it, it's just, there's something about that time and that age that will serve you forever. 100%. Yeah, no, I definitely learned a lot. There was, cause I basically started at my parents' restaurant when I was about 10. And then, so by the time I was 18, I was running the show with them. Then I had two restaurants of my own by the time I was 21. So the, it was just like the operations, the things you learn are just invaluable, right? So like my time in working for my parents, I learned so much throughout that time. And it's invaluable how those skill sets transfer, especially at a young age. Like it's such a perfect time to beta test anything and everything, like just go out there and get it. What's the worst that can happen? Like it's a perfect trial period, right? For you, like being early twenties, I think is like such a, like you yeah. so much. Let's take this a step further. We think that that time is reserved for your early twenties. I heard a speaker once say that, that it's almost like, you know, so if you're in your thirties, if you're forties, fifties listening, we almost somehow believe that we are given these like, these like coins or these chips or these tickets for like risk or for making mistakes. And let's say, you know, I'm going to give you, you're 20 years old. I'm going to give you 20 fuck up tickets. Right? <laughs> I love and, it. And so you're in your twenties, you know, you're 24, 25 and you're like, Oh, <laughs> fucked up there. I just <laughs> spent four of them. And then, you know, you're a little bit later and you're in your late twenties. You're like, I just used another three of my fuck up tickets. You hit your thirties and you got kids or mortgage or married or whatever it is, you know, you're down a career path and suddenly you're looking and you're like, Oh shit. I only got four fuck up tickets left. I don't want to spend these. What if like, what if I need these? And you start to go from like being pretty risk tolerant to like pretty risk adverse fast. But the truth is we just said, you know, in your early twenties is a beautiful time to try things and learn things, but your thirties is also in your forties and your fifties. All of these things are also beautiful times to do so. If you're willing to take the sacrifice or take the hit of the year or two years or three years to set yourself up for the next five or 10 or 20 years ahead of you. Right. We though make the mistake of thinking like everything needs to stack right? Like every next win is built on a previous win. Every next breakthrough is on a previous breakthrough. And the thought of burning it all to the ground or taking a huge shift or having to start again scares too many people. And so they stay stuck. If you're in your 20s, experiment. If you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s and you feel trapped or stuck, Nothing is stopping you from experimenting again, right? Like nothing is stopping you but yourself and whatever, again, society or people tell you that you should do. But if at 65, you want to be really, really happy and living an extraordinary life and have no regrets, 
what does it matter if at 43 you take two years to reset everything? Like, like really, what does it matter? When you're 43, you're going to say, well, I'm going to spend all of 43 and all of 44 starting again. That's terrible. Yeah, but when you're 65, you'll love it. So like all of these shifts in terms of what happens up here in our heads and how we look at time and how we look at investment and how we look at these things, this is what I've had to learn over the last 10 years. Yes. Amen to that, Mark. I love that you mentioned that because again, like my timeline shouldn't be a comparison for anybody else's, right? So like for me, that those were my trial and error dates, but guess what? There's still trial and error happening throughout my life. But like at that point in particular, I was like yeah. trying everything. Hey, how old are you? You're 30? Yeah. Gosh, you're young. So you probably <laughs> feel super old, right? Like and yeah. you're like, I'm 30. I'm super old. I'm 39. I'm turning 40 next year. That the only reason this makes me feel really old is because I start when I started dating my wife, her parents were 39. So, oh my so it's like one of these, like, oh my goodness, I'm now my in-laws age when we started dating. But so when you're 30, you're gonna feel super old. And when you're 40, you're gonna feel old. And when you're 50, you're gonna feel old. Cause the thing is, you've never been as old as you are now. Your brain just has nothing to go on. But I look at you and I go, 30. Oh, wow, 30 is so young. And the truth is. Yeah, you're going to fuck up at some point over the next 10 or 20 years as well. And you're yep. going to have to use some of those tickets. And yep. you have an unlimited number of them. That's the thing. Don't fear, fear like making the mistake, making the pivot, making the change, taking a step back, slowing down so you can speed up later. 100%. I always yeah. say you're, you're one decision away from changing your whole life. Truly. Oh, yeah. Just one decision. That goes good or bad. And I love that. I love that you mentioned that. But definitely weigh out pros and cons, right? Like I'm like that type A, like, let's write it all down. Like pros, cons, what could go wrong? And like- Do you do that? Do you do that? Do. You actually make the list? I do. I do. It helps me so much. Cause then I'm like, it's almost like you face the fear head on. Cause it's like, yeah. pros. what are the pros? What are the cons? So here goes negative versus positive. And you kind of like see where it lies. And then after that, I'm like, okay. And then I go ahead. So anyone who's risk averse or like always kind of like, eh, I don't know, it's, it works out really, really well. Like I'm a big risk taker, but I still try to mitigate wherever I can. And I do that. And it really helps me make the right decision. Most of the time. I think most people would downplay the pros by nature, unless you're really well trained at it and, and yeah. overcompensate on the cons, which will kind of skew things out. Even the people who say like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Trust me, my imagination, I can come up with some really great worst case scenarios. I like, uh, I don't know if you've heard Marie Forleo talk about the gut check, like the physical reaction to these things, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and so you close your eyes and you take a few breaths and then you pose the question to yourself, like, do I want to spend the next week fasting? And then you just, you really quickly see what, what happens. Does your body tighten up? Does it loosen up? Does it get excited? What does it do when you pose that question? And then you just got to do it. <laughs> I love that. I love your mindset a lot, Mark, like a lot. And I know it's taken years and years of development for you to get there. I mean, it's like self-discovery and you're still learning, which I think is so beautiful. And going through your entrepreneurial ventures from Phantom and then scaling up, because you mentioned you had no sales experience, no marketing. You're like, I'm just learning as I go. So how did that work out? Yeah. Well, so necessity, what do they say? Necessity is a great teacher, I guess. So the first few years were, were super bumpy. <laughs> this little thing happened in 2009 that most people might remember 2008, 2009, the great recession. And so we had, by that time I was a few years in, I think we had something like $200,000 revenue and I had one minimum wage employee. My wife and I just bought a house because we were expecting our second child. 
right before the recession hit. And then the recession hit and all of my clients who were kind of giving me work, put everything on pause. So January, February, 2009, even through March, zero projects, zero revenue, zero work. I had to let go of my staff member. We burned through the, the kind of $100,000 in cash we had in the bank account at the time. And I remember calling my mom. I used to, I used to talk to my mom a lot. <laughs> like, mom, what do I do? She had run a business and she was just really great at helping listen. And, and I said, you know, it's whatever this was, I think early March, 2009. And I go, I'm now two and a half years into this and I have no money. I have no team. I have no clients. I have nothing to show for this. I feel like I've just wasted two and a half years because if I didn't step out to start my own company, all of my friends were making way more money than me, right? Like they were way further ahead because I had quit my $45,000 a year job to make 18 grand and then to make like 28 grand and to make like 32 grand. So, so, and we had just bought a house and like, we're trying to do all of this stuff really, really like running things thin and over leveraged. And she's like, so stop, just stop. It's like, it's not a big deal. Just go do something else. And I was like, no, I'm going to, if I stop now, I'm always going to regret. I'm going to look back and go like, maybe it could have worked. And I told her, I'm going to give it one last kick at the can. And that one last kick at the can had me like go out and I borrowed, I borrowed 50 grand. So on top of the mortgage, on top of everything else, I borrowed 50 grand. I hired a salesperson. I was paying him $5,000 a month, this salesperson. And two months in, he quit. Zero sales. So I just, well, there goes 10 grand out of the 50. Now I have 40 grand left. And I hire a headhunter for six grand to hire me another salesperson. And this salesperson comes on. And one thing about myself, because you asked about the journey, one thing is I'm really good at just like, if someone says, hey, you need to do this, it's like, they're not worth the time. We got to fix it, right? As soon as I'm aware of the blind spot, I'm like desperate to like try to get it fixed right away. And working with this great guy who took a chance on me, his name was Daniel Moskowitz. He took a chance on me. He came in as a business development director and he was like, you know, Mark, your website's not very good and your message isn't very clear. And even though you think you understand your targets, you don't really. And so just him saying that sent me down this path of like just getting better. I needed to get better. On top of that, I didn't pay myself for six months. I paid him, but I only had this $40,000 that was winding down. So for six months, I would take my paycheck, I would pay the income tax on it, and I would slip it into my desk drawer for six months straight. Paycheck after paycheck after paycheck. I would never deposit it because what does it matter if like, if I'm moving money from my corporate account to my personal account, if I don't have any money, I don't have any money. And so my wife is like, Hey, when are you going to start bringing home money? And it's like, I just don't have any, like, there's just no sales. And so that sacrifice that those six months of not paying myself, of borrowing this money and paying this other person and having all of that pressure to have to make it work. I don't know what happened, but we started to figure out, we got one sale, we got a second sale, we got a third sale. Then we hired an editor. So I would have to stop doing sales and delivery and all of this other stuff. You know, in real estate, it's kind of like being the one trying to buy the home to finance the home. You're switching out the toilet. You're doing the rehab. You're doing all that stuff. Like eventually you're going to like maybe bring in a contractor to help you not have to do everything. And you start to back your way out of the business. Yeah. And over the course of two years, I was able to bring in some people to help because we were a creative agency, some people to help with editing, some people to help with producing. And we focused more and more on sales. And suddenly, you know, we're at 350 revenue and then we're at 600 revenue and we're at 850 and then we're at a million. And 
being a service-based business where payroll was basically our only expense, our gross profits were really, really high. We were able to just build by continuing to bring on more projects, bring on more staff, and then grow revenue from there. That's amazing. So you took that last shot and you made it happen. Yeah. And up until COVID hit, I used to say this on, on interviews and podcasts all the time when I, when I would say like, I'm just going to give it one last kick at the can. I used to say like, I'm still on that kick. <laughs> now, when COVID hit, we had to completely rethink our business. So we are a much different business today than we were two or three years ago. Before COVID, you know, 2 million in revenue, 24 full-time staff. Today, we're 15, 20% the revenue we were, only four people on the team. So a very different <laughs> company than we were then. But, but yeah, that ride that like, I'm just going to give it one last kick at the can and see what happens. Took me from 2009 to 2019, mm. growing, 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 growing. So, wow, that's amazing, Mark. That's amazing. And I feel like, so I mean, since COVID hit, I feel like you've gone into a different segue as well, personally, because I was looking at your Instagram post and I'm like, that's so awesome where you became a host. Yeah, that was, um, a big shift. So I, you know, owning a creative agency, I, I'm responsible for strategy and yeah. for development. We, we help, we help with brand strategy and we help with all this backend stuff to make sure the work we're producing for people, if we've been able to work with national airlines and the NBA and huge pension plans, but we've also worked with startups, pre-revenue and entrepreneurs and in, in all kinds of industries. So being responsible for strategy and then the, the ideas and the creative and then the delivery meant that I was able to train my muscle, you know, working on two, 300 projects per year, year after year after year, you're able to get pretty good at clocking those 10,000 hours. But yeah. I would always be, <laughs> I'd be the guy, you know, if I was on set and I'm working with, let's say the CEO for a major company, I'd be the one showing them how to do it. So I'd stand on camera and I'd say, well, this is how you read off the teleprompter and blah, 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 blah. And I would show them how to do it. And then I would walk off camera and they'd walk on and, and secretly be thinking, I'm so much better at this than they are. Or, I would listen to talk radio and people would call in or the host would go and I'd go like, I could host this TV show. Like I could host this thing. I like, there was something, there's something within me where I was like, I'm so good at this, but you know, some friends, some people in my life, some staff members had me believe it, you know, it's ego or it's just, I want to be the center of attention or whatever it is. And so I would constantly downplay it. And then I had a podcast, I'm doing YouTube videos. I have friends who are in this space. Finally, yeah, during COVID, I felt like I had enough coverage. I had enough coverage to be able to say, well, Phantom Media can't operate the way it was. The team can't be the, what it was. We can't do the services we want, we, we were doing for all these years. The world has forced us to change. So why don't I pursue this thing of becoming a professional host? Is that even a thing? Like, I know that there are hosts. I know that there are MCs. I know people host podcasts. And if I go to a conference, there's someone up on the stage. And if I turn on the television, there's someone hosting a television show. But I always thought that they would get an actor. Well, I'm not really an actor. Or they would get, they would get a, in the flipping world or whatever, they would get the person who's amazing at flipping, the general contractor or the real estate person, and they would give them a TV show. Or you know, the person on stage who's the MC, maybe they're a comedian, right? And I'm not a comedian. So I always thought you had to have this like performance bent mm. and then someone would give you something. And then it hit me. It's like, one, I love, I'm very, very curious. And I love asking people questions and I love hosting conversations. And I have this strategy background, this creative background, this production background, and all those memories of 
listening to talk radio thinking I could do that, imagining myself on camera, you know, and I'm like, I could do that. And something just clicked. And I was like, I am going to, I don't know if this is a career change or if this is just a progression, but I am going to pivot Fanta to media our agency to be able to help speakers and coaches and entrepreneurs and consultants, the very people that I come in contact with through being a host, through being at conferences, through being on stage, through you know connecting with people like we are today. I'm going to help all of those people with all of my skill sets. And at the same time, I'm going to become a professional host because I love doing that. And so bringing those two worlds together, quite honestly, was one of the scariest because it's kind of like, who does this? Scariest things for me. But when I embraced it, everything felt more natural. Mm-hmm. Everything felt like before I was building a business so that way one day I could go off and do the things I love. Mm. I was doing the things I had to do. You know, the entrepreneur spends 90% of the time doing the stuff they have to do so they can spend 10% of their time in their zone of genius. Yep. That's really stupid for us to do all this stuff that we hate just so that way one day or just so that way in my very busy schedule, I might be able to do the stuff I love. I love this. I love what we're doing now. I love, I'm going to have you on my podcast even. I love asking people questions and digging deep and chasing those things down. So I'm going to spend all my time doing that. And I'm actually going to pivot my agency to be able to do the things that we're greatest at, but to support the people that I connect with through these things. And it's just, it's just so much better. I love that. Well, you can tell it with the passion in your voice and like, just like your emotions around it. You can tell it's fully in alignment with what you're doing and meshing the two worlds actually makes perfect sense. And it flows, it's in alignment. And that's why it feels so natural because it's in alignment with you. And so that's the path that you're supposed to take, which I find so, so beautiful. And Mark, I've got to ask you, this is my favorite question, by the way, this is the favorite question. I have a lot of favorites. This is my favorite. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Don't worry. You've got this. So I have anxiety. I've generalized anxiety disorder. And that is not something that I quite, I struggle quite as much with now as I used to. But I, like so many of us, are afraid of the uncertainty of the future, right? Like what if, what if, what if, what if, and, uh, and like all of the things that can keep you up at night or that can run through your brain, or when you're feeling bold, you come up with something that's amazing and then you wait or you take a few steps and then suddenly reality hits. But that reality hitting isn't reality. That's fear and that's doubt and that's anxiety. And that's the fact that the future is uncertain. And so what I would tell my younger self and what I have learned is that when you look back, it all makes sense. Every dot, every twist, every turn, every workout that I was worried about, I've survived. Every near bankruptcy that I've ever had, I've gotten through. Every time I've run out of cash, something has worked out. Every time I've gotten a huge influx of cash, (laughs) I figured out how to spend the money, right? Like everything that I've ever done, I've been able to get through and it hasn't killed me. It hasn't destroyed everything. The world didn't crumble around me. And yet, if you ask me about six months, nine months, 12 months in the future, I have so much fear. I have so much doubt. I have so much uncertainty. I can tell you everything that could possibly go wrong. Why is that? Why looking back, are there no fears or worries because it was. And yet looking forward, I just somehow don't think that future me is going to figure this out. Mm. Don't worry. You've got this. Future you has got this. Future you will survive and get through and rebound 
and maybe you're going to make a mistake and maybe you're going to let people down and maybe you're going to embarrass yourself. But I've already done all of those things a lot of times in my life and people still love me and people still believe in me and people still give me a shot. So I don't know. I take comfort now in going, okay, past me figured this out. Current me is getting is doing the very best that I can. Future me's got this too. Future me's got this too. I'll write that one down. I absolutely love that. I love that. And so, Mark, what's up in your world in the next like six to 12 months? What, what are you up to? What's exciting? What's coming up? Because I feel like there's so many shifts and transitions coming in for you, which is beautiful. I am most excited right now. So I've talked a little bit about where we were as a creative agency doing all these cool campaigns. And we've done some pretty cool things. Like I've had a 737 to myself for the day before. And you just walk into a hangar and you're like, there's this giant plane here. And we've worked with NBA players and we've done all kinds of cool stuff. But what I'm most excited about now is we've spent the last six months taking all of our brand strategy process. So we help people, companies, it used to be startups, but but today we've tailored everything specifically for speakers and for entrepreneurs, coaches, and consultants. If your business counts on you, then you have got to have a brand that connects. You got to be able to stand out, you got to be able to understand what to say to your audience. You got to be able to connect with them and engage them because that's going to lead to growth and sales and all these other things. And too many times people just want to be the same or blend into the wallpaper or they don't stand out or they don't understand what to tell their prospects or their clients or they don't differentiate themselves or they don't look the part. So what I'm most excited about now is we have just taken the last 10 years of a lot of companies have paid us a lot of money to do and we've tailored it for the speakers, the entrepreneurs, the coaches, and the consultants. And uh, we call the process core three. We've been doing this for years. So we're just about to launch an affiliate program. And it's not something that scales. Like we can only work with three, four people at a time. It's pretty time intensive, but the results are, I don't think redonkulous is a word, but the results <laughs> are redonkulous. <laughs> And so that's what I'm most excited about because we already have the next six weeks kind of tied up and, but we're opening up a few spots for uh, July and for August. But you know, if you're someone who just feels like my business is riding on my shoulders, it counts on me. And I'm not really clear on why marketing works or doesn't work. I'm not really sure that I've nailed my goal, my voice, what I need to do and where I'm going. And then on top of that, the customers, the audience, we've made six figure investments into the nation's largest market research firm. So we can access data from 250 million Americans, a billion devices, a trillion touch points a day. Like today we can, what I'm most excited about is like, there's so much data, there's so much insight. We can track, and I don't want to be creepy, but we know what websites people go to, which podcasts they listen to, which magazines, whether they vote, you know, right or left, which social issues they back, uh, their household incomes. Like we can learn so much about people. And so once you know what you want and once you understand what, who your audience is and what they care about, and then we do competitive intel, we're creating some killer, killer personal brands. So you show up, you look the part, you say the right things. That is what I'm most excited about because I love building brands. I love, you know, it's that architecture thing. Like I wanted to be an architect because it's about space and environment and feeling and tone. That's why I love hosting live events. It's about space and environment and feeling and tone. Mm -hmm. But I also love building brands for that same reason. I love that, Mark. That sounds so amazing. And just the, the alignment with everything is just mind-blowing. So I'm so happy that's what you're moving into. And you're going to help so many brands just go out there and crush it, which is 
amazing. Oh my goodness. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. Where can everybody find you? Well, if you want to learn more about the branding process I just talked about, you can head over to our website, Fanta.com. That's P-H-A-N-T-A.com. If you want to check out my podcast called We Do Hard Things, you can head over to YouTube, look up We Do Hard Things or Mark Drager. Or if you want to connect directly with me, head over to Instagram, look me up, Mark Drager. You can send me a DM. I don't have a bot. I don't have a VA. It's like literally just me responding. Drop me a note and tell me what you think of this episode. You are amazing, Mark. Thank you so much for being here today and just for your inspiration, wisdom, all the things. Thank you so, so much, my friend. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. Underdog, underdog, underdog. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs. Underdog.